welcome to the talk show for talkers on irishtalkers.com. Greetings, Toastmasters, Whippy Toastmasters, listeners and friends. You're most welcome to the talk show for talkers here on irishtalkers.com. Our email address is info at irishtalkers.com. You can find us on Facebook as the Talk Show for Talkers and we most welcome your comments, your questions, your feedback and indeed your evaluations. You can listen to previous shows from this season on our website, irishtalkers.com. In fact, we have uh, episodes going back for four or five seasons there. We also publish the Public Speaking Weekly which is a roundup of links from the internet all about Toastmasters, about public speaking, confidence, leadership, etc., etc. Look for the newspaper link on our website. My name is Moira O'Brien, and this week I'm joined by the prolific, persuasive, passionate, eponymous... Can I think of any more Ps? No. Paul Amani. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in again. At least she didn't call me puerile. That's a good one. I was write that down and remember it for next week. <laughs> okay, what do we have for you? Well, we have, as usual, a thought for the week and a word for the week. In part two, we have an interesting uh, bit that I recovered from YouTube about, well, about engaging your audience. In part three, we have Paul is going to look at the procedure and possible problems in the election of area directors. And in part four, I'm going to be taking a sideways look at Craig Valentine's 52 speaking tips. Let us dive straight into our quote for the week. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And this quote came from a trailblazing black tennis player. In fact, I think he was the first black tennis player to achieve any sort of success. Arthur Ashe, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. Now, I find this quite interesting, Paul, because it's a little bit of a change from the way we normally think. We normally think about, well, how are we going to get to this and how are we going to achieve that? What's our target? And what he's saying is, well, I, I guess it's a bit like saying that in order to make a journey, you've got to take the first step. Start where you are. Start with the ability that you have. Use what you have. Know what you have. Do what you're able to do today. And I would then go on to say, and by doing this, you will improve. You will get better. What's your view on this? My view is that the first thing that quotation throws up is the question... Where am I? Where are we? I'll give you a little example. I was contacted by a club president in the last few days who asked me for some advice in relation to how to increase engagement in their club. And he wanted some tips on this. So I've suggested that we meet and have a conversation about it. But in the meanwhile, I sent him a few thoughts. And what came to me when thinking about it was, well, let's do a situation analysis first. Let's actually restart with what has actually happened so far from the point of view of the members of the club who are not engaging. So rather than trying to solve the problem, let us first of all see what was the context within which the problem arose. This strikes me 
as one of the great things about Arthur Ashe's statement, which is start from where you are. Now, where are we? Well, we're in the middle of a hole sinking quickly. It's pretty keen to know that we're sinking quickly and that we're in a hole before we try to figure out how to get out. Yes? Yeah. Now, second, second, if you happen to have a shovel handy, that's very useful because you can push it up to the top of the hole and somebody can grab it and pull you out. Obviously, you don't want to dig any further with the shovel, but shovels can be useful when you're in a hole. So what I'm thinking about is, yes, use the instruments that are around you. One of the instruments this club president has around them is the ability to send a, to phone up the members of the club one by one and say, how are you doing? That is like an, a piece of equipment that you have handy that you can use. doesn't cost you any money to buy it. And what was the third thing Arthur Ashe said? He said, do what you can, which is more or less what you've been talking about. I don't know what else you can do other than do what you can. I mean, that, <laughs> but it is such a simple, beautiful phrase. Do what you can to do this. Do what you can to do that. Don't ever try to do what you can't do. Well, that's very true. But when you are learning and trying to improve yourself, we do put ourselves out there and we do take ourselves out of our comfort zone and try to do things that maybe we can't quite do. I know in my professional career, I used to describe myself as being promoted to my level of incompetence i.e. I had always strived to do something better and in the end I strove to do something that was actually beyond my competence level. Well, the key thing for you, Moira, was to do it smoothly and graciously. And That's in a true. sophisticated manner. In other words, for your performance to have a certain element of style, and I would call that being suave. And being suave is our word of the week, listeners. S-U-A-V-E. A suave performance is one that is smooth, gracious, perhaps a little bit superficially gracious and sophisticated, but all the same, it's important not to mix it up with the word suave. It's spelled S-U-A-V-E, so it does sound as if it came from Latin, S-U-A-V-E, suave, and it's a word which it is useful to consider its application to somebody who has done something. That was a very suave response to that person's point of view. In other words, it was a sophisticated and admirable and quite smooth, debonair response. Oh, here's the good one. Uh, It also means, or it has a synonym, svelte, to be svelte. But the antonyms, the opposite of the word suave, are the really gutsy ones. Now, I hope there are no children listening, because uncouth, loutish, and boorish. So if you're making a speech next time in... Toastmasters, and you want to refer to a certain kind of character, you can say they were loutish, uncouth, and boorish. And you'll get huge points, won't you, Moira, from the grammarian? 
You will, but uh, I, as you were going through your descriptions, I, w- I was thinking, well, that's a perfect description of myself. Not, not the loutish bit, the, the, the suave bit, you know, not sophisticated. Not loutish and, and clownish. <laughs> no, surely not. No, perish the thought, perish the thought. But no, the suave, sophisticated, smooth operator, that's, that's me down to a T. It certainly is your voice. Now, I have to say that whenever you give a speech... The word sophisticated and smooth comes to me. Uh, We're not talking about your appearance and body gestures at all. We're not talking about your props. We are talking about your voice, a really suave operator. Suave communicator. Does that mean that uh, I'm terrible with my props and my uh, other accessories? No, I was sticking to the topic and not going off and not being waylaid onto other things when I say that you have got a suave manner, especially in your diction and enunciation. I would say that that's a fair description of you. Certainly, that's what other people have told me about you. Well, that's very kind, Paul. I I would apply the same subriquet to yourself, I think. Now, (laughs) you haven't actually told me yet uh, when this word originated. Ah, that's because it's so modern in, in its modern meaning. But I believe that it came about sometime in the Middle Ages. In fact, unfortunately, my dictionaries, which give the ancestry or provenance of the word, only refer to it being a mid-19th century usage that we have today. Goodness knows what it meant back in 1540. Actually, fourteen fifteen was the original. I think the the first the first uh, recorded use of the word. Not directly. It was suavity. I think was the first recorded use in fourteen fifteen. Suavity. Well, now I would not suggest using that in a toastmaster speech because you might well be marked down by the judges for using words which the audience has absolutely no chance of understanding. <laughs> And how does the judge know that? Because they don't understand it. <laughs> That's very that, true. By the way, as far as I can see, the only way to, to, to mark in a, when you're judging a speech and somebody uses a word and you don't understand it, you have to assume that the audience doesn't understand it either. Well, yes. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, one way of looking at it, Paul. So with that suave transition, well... We'll bring this episode to a close and invite you to come back tomorrow at the same time when we're going to be listening to Isaac Savonga on how to captivate an audience. We'll see you there. The Talk Show for Talkers is published every week in sections at 4pm every Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday. Go to our website irishtalkers.com for more information.